Welcome to Grace Family Church. We are so glad you decided to check out our podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching from Pastor Tommy will encourage your faith and lead you towards the greatness God has planned for you. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoy this message. Want to want to uh, make a couple of other quick quick announcements? Just remind you guys of uh, save this one for now because I wanted to make sure I had your attention. Um, you know, this Friday is recognized, you know, as Ash or whatever Friday, uh, but it's the day that as we look at historically, um, uh, you know, it's the day we use to recognize the actual day Jesus was crucified, the actual day he hung upon a cross to pay for our sins. And so this coming Friday, uh, we're going to have a special Good Friday worship service right here at the church at 7 p.m. Now, you know, these are a regular occurrence for our church, these worship nights, because the Lord really laid it on my heart back in the fall that as a church body, having Sunday morning service is a good thing, but we also have to have dedicated moments where we just come to worship Him. And in the book of Acts, it tells us that times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. And so if you have found yourself in a spot where maybe you're feeling distant from the Lord or you're feeling disconnected or you know you just your relationships gotten a little bit dry that that is really a sign that not you're in a bad place even necessarily but that you, you just need to plug in and press into his presence and so we provide these opportunities for you to come in and worship I was looking at a clip from a, a pastor who talked about worship and he said you know there's a lot of people that show up and sing songs on Sunday morning but there are very few that abandon themselves to Jesus during that moment and what this allows us the opportunity to do during our worship nights is to truly turn away. The Bible says repent for times of refreshing come. It allows us to turn away from everything in our life that we consider important, that matters, that we're, you know, we have to do, and really focus our attention on what Jesus did for us and worshiping him. And the Bible says when we do that with all of our hearts, with abandon and recklessness, just, Lord, I am hungry for you, and we just throw it all out there, laying down all of our pride and inhibitions, when we do that, God's presence shows up and times of refreshing come. And so we're going to celebrate the fact that he died on a cross for us this coming Friday at 7 p.m. during the worship night. And so we encourage you to take the time, mark your calendars, make it out for that because you'll, you, you probably don't realize how much you need the refreshing in your life. Amen? So that's this coming Friday. Also, uh, just once again, want to thank everybody that helped us on the spring cleaning day. Um, you, know, uh, you know, they always say, you know, many hands make light work. And I will tell you... Um, we had um, uh, a lot of people show up. I, you know, it was a rainy morning, and when I showed up, I was a little bit wondering who was going to show up. When I pulled in the parking lot, I was a couple minutes late. Um, I was like, wow, you guys showed out. And so we really appreciate that. And we were able to get the work done in about two and a half hours. We got all of our closets cleaned out. We got all of our uh, flower beds, uh, you know, weeded and the mulch put down. So in the coming weeks, you'll start seeing hostas popping through there and everything else. It'll be beautiful. So uh, appreciate the effort from everybody. So give yourself a hand for showing up and being a part of that. Amen. All right. Well, today I want to start a two-part series entitled To the Cross and Through the Open Door. Um, and really, you know, what we're going to do in this series is we're going to take a look at the journey Jesus took from Gethsemane to the cross to the grave and through his resurrection uh, to see how he brought us salvation and the choices he had to make and the things he went through uh, in that journey to bring us salvation. And what we're going to see is striking similarities as well of what, you know, choices we have to make as we follow Jesus and, and the path that we have to take for, uh, in, in our followership of him and our discipleship of him. And so we're going to use Romans chapter 4 as our foundational text. And so we're going to read Romans chapter 4 verse 25. 
I'm reading from the, the Passion Translation, and so we'll read that, and then let's pray, and then just believe God with me that uh, exactly what the Holy Spirit has for you uh, is communicated this morning. Um, that it's not just Pastor Tommy talking, but it's actually the Holy Spirit speaking through me to your hearts. Because God knows what you need, God knows what you're going through, and I, and I know how much He loves you. And so just believe God with me that He'll just use me this morning, right? Amen. Uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 25 says, Jesus was handed over to be crucified for the forgiveness of our sins and was raised back to life to prove that He had made us right with God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth that we find in your word. It is the bedrock and foundation for our life. And so we come humbly with great honor and adoration for your word with ears to hear. We ask you to speak to our hearts, speak to our lives. We ask you, Father God, to move in ways in our life that move us forward in our relationship with you. And I thank you, Father, that as you do that through me, because I'm confident that you'll honor your word, that we can leave here today and say we're better because we came to church today. My life is enhanced because I heard the truth of God's word today. I give you praise and thanks for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, here in Romans chapter 4, we see that in Jesus' final days of his earthly ministry, you know, leading up to this point, you know, Jesus went through different things. He healed the sick. He opened blind eyes. He preached the word and proclaimed the word. But as we sort of uh, historically look at this this, uh, this journey that he took as he entered Jerusalem and moved toward the cross, we begin to see things intensify for Jesus and what he was really uh, ultimately called to accomplish for us. And, and looking at that, you know, we also see steps in the process that are examples to us of how we should live our lives, and we see other situations that show how he was a substitution for us so that we don't have to experience those things. And so I want to take a look at just a couple of the stops on the journey today. I titled the message today, To the Cross. And so these are the things that Jesus, that, that I really felt highlighted, uh, the, the Holy Spirit highlight for me to bring out. We could have probably intricately spent hours and days looking at all the different things that he did in that trek to the cross. But there are three specific things that I really felt like the Lord wanted me to point out to you today. And the first was what took place in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, um, we know the story after being, you know, praised at his entrance, palm leaves, you know, as we've sort of symbolized here today, being laid down at his feet, people proclaiming Hosanna in the highest, you know, uh, he, and, then, and then even after coming together with his disciples and having that last, that intimate last supper with them where he knew more than they knew that this was the last time that he was going to be able to spend uh, any time with them as a group before, you know, he delivered what he was really here to deliver for us. Um, and so, you know, we had all that take place, and then he walks out of that place of uh, fellowship and, 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 and uh, that last supper with the disciples, and we find him in the Garden of Gethsemane here in Luke chapter 22, verse 39 and 41 through 44. And I just pray as we read through this and I pull these things out, we truly develop just even a deeper gratitude for what, what Jesus did for us what he truly did for us. I think sometimes year after year we celebrate Easter and it's important that hopefully every day we're celebrating what that represents. But sometimes, you know, the, the, the familiarity of things can cause things to lose their special meaning. And I just pray that today as we move through this that the Holy Spirit will really open your eyes to appreciate once again what Jesus did for us because it was an awesome sacrifice. 
In Luke chapter 22 and verse 39, it says, Coming out, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and as, his, and, and as, he, as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. And then jumping to verse 41. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven and strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. You know, Jesus' first stop on the way to sal providing salvation for us is found here in this Garden of Gethsemane or the on the Mount of Olives. And we see Jesus really in this moment addresses the first obstacle that many times all of us must face when it comes to performing and walking in the will of God. You know, basically his, his obedience to what God wanted him to do stood between our salvation and our eternal damnation, if you think about that for a moment. You know, the obstacle of his personal will, you know, as Jesus was God, he was, and he is God, and he's, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, he is one, in, one of the three, right? But he came to earth and he took upon him the flesh and, and human will of a man. And, and, and the Bible says he was tempted and touched in all points like we were. And so he did that, you know, to experience and, and, and be that, you know, applicable substitute for us. And, and he had to deal with the very same thing many times that we have to deal with in our flesh. And, and, and that is that, that desire, that resistance in our flesh to want to uh, do what it is God has called us to do. You know, it's, it's almost unfathomable to think that Jesus dealt with that desire to not follow after the plan, and we just think, you know, it was just, you know, it's just Jesus, so he just automatically did it. But here we see in, in this moment of great anguish and prayer that Jesus is praying, Lord, I don't want to do this. I don't want physically to face this. I don't want to spiritually experience about what, I, what I'm about to experience. And so he faced the obstacle of his of personal will. And I think as we look at this particular stop on the journey to the cross, we see an example for us that really helps us know something about our journey in following after Jesus. And it's simply this, as long as we follow Jesus, no matter how spiritual we get, we are always going to face opportunities where we want to do something different than what God wants us to do. We're always going to face opportunities where God is calling us to make a decision, make a choice, make a sacrifice, do something, and our flesh says, no, I don't want to do it. No, I really don't want to do this thing. And, 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 and think about it for a minute. If Jesus, the perfect Son of God, had to deal with this desire, then i got to tell you, we're going to have to face it. In our followership of Jesus, in walking after Jesus, it's going to require times in our life where we learn the truth of submission to God's authority. Submission to God's authority. Gethsemane shows us that. Most people have no problem walking in agreement with God. But where true discipleship takes its place in our life is when we make decisions to do things that God calls us to do that we wouldn't necessarily do ourselves. See, you know, a lot of people, you know, as long as things are, you know, I'm going along, things are great, I'm loving Jesus, I, he, he tells me he wants to bless me, I'll take that. He tells me he wants to heal me, I'll take that. But then when he says it's time for you to make a sacrifice, it's time for you to make a decision, that necessarily isn't what you would want to do with your life, but it's what I want you to do with your life. 
In those moments, we're faced with the same challenge that Jesus was faced with. The scripture shows us that we are going to be faced with these difficult choices. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There are going to be often times for us as believers where we think this is the right way, but God has a different way. And what he says is actually completely contrary to our understanding. We would think there's no way that will work. But he's calling us to submit our will to something that he knows better about. Isaiah 55 and verse 8 said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. He knows better than we do. There are plenty of times where God is going to tell you in his word to do something or he's going to tell you by his spirit, I want you to do this. And your mind is going to go, whoa, 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 what? No way. That makes no sense. But in those moments, we have to look at the example of Jesus in that garden and recognize what laid in the balance of his choice. Our salvation, our eternal salvation from eternal damnation laid in the balance of him making a choice to submit himself to the authority of the Father. You know, that's so important for us to recognize that because oftentimes we look at what God is calling us to do, we look at what he's asking us to do, and we see it in the light of how it will impact us immediately by that choice. Instead of looking at it in the light of understanding that God has a plan, God has a purpose, God has a desire to reach the entire world through us. And the very choice that we think makes no sense very well may make a lot of sense to the person that you may find yourself touching through that choice you have made. See, Jesus had to make that choice. Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15 says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. And also with him, notice this, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. If we want to dwell where God wants to dwell, we have to be where God is. I'm going to say that again. If we want to dwell where God wants us, where we, if we want to dwell in God's presence, then we need to be where God is. And if God is leading us to make a choice, leading us to make a decision, it would be very presumptuous and foolish of us to think that if I say no to that, I still can be where he is. What he says there is I dwell with the lowly and the contrite. Not because you checked a box, not because you said, oh, oh good, they're, they're under my thumbnail but because you've moved yourself into a place where he's asked you to be. And so it's important for us to recognize that God says he, if we want to dwell with him, if you want God's stuff that he has offered, then you've got to be where he is. There, are many, many, uh, there may be many that always think that they can pull away or do something different, but, but if we want to have what God has, we just need to simply submit ourselves to his will. If he says go, go. If he says stop, stop. <laughs> if he says give, give. If he says serve, serve. 
And the list can go on and on and on. If he says forgive, forgive. If he says love, love. If he says talk, talk. If he says be quiet, be quiet. But if you want to have what God wants to have, there has to be that bended knee moment that says, I may want to do something different, but not my will but yours. Aren't you glad Jesus made that choice in Gethsemane for us? Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 tells us, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Everybody say sacrifice. See, this consecrated life that we're talking about is a choice to make sacrifices. So many times I believe today the culture that we've developed in a lot of the churches in America goes, we always have to show the benefit of what comes from serving God. I always feel challenged as a pastor that if I'm going to ask something of you, I've got to show you the benefit of it. But you know what? Serving God is, is it's not just about the benefit. It's about the sacrifice. It's about the sacrifice and laying down of ourselves to be a blessing to another, to be a help to another, to be a, 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 you know, a, a, a point of goodness in someone's life. It's a sacrifice. And you know the thing about a sacrifice? It's not a sacrifice if it's easy. You're just doing what you want to do. Sacrifice requires saying, I'm going to do what I don't want to do because God tells me that's what I should do. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now here's the good news. Here's the, he's, you know, the thing about God is he always benefits us and blesses us when we do what he says to do. So there is a benefit in it. It says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Notice this, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When we do what he says to do, we wind up in that good, perfect, and acceptable place. Now that good, perfect, and acceptable place may not be what we expected, but it's what he's planned and designed all along. And when we wind up in that place, we open our eyes to say like they said in the, in, in the Psalms, we were like those that lived in a dream. Because we wind up in that place that God has designed for us to be. And so it requires moments of sacrifice. And Jesus made that choice. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7 says, During Christ's days on earth, he pleaded with God. I want you to think about this for a minute. It was not an easy choice for him to make a decision to get up from the Garden of Gethsemane, allow himself to be taken captive, for lack of a better term, and walk out that journey. That was not an easy choice. During Christ's days on earth, he pleaded with God, praying with passion and with tearful agony that God would spare him from this death. And because of his perfect devotion, his prayer was answered and he was delivered. That doesn't mean he didn't die on the cross. But I'll tell you something, if he'd have gone belly aching, complaining, and screaming to the cross, we would not have been redeemed. But even though he was a wonderful son, he learned to listen and obey through all his sufferings. And after being proven perfect in this way, he has now become the source of eternal salvation to all those who listen to him and obey him. It was Jesus submitting to sacrifice and suffer that brought us what it is that we have today as believers. 
It's the perfect example for us. And when I talk about suffering, we're not talking about suffering for the things for which Jesus came to set us free from. We're talking about the suffering of personal choices that sometimes will not benefit us, but will bless another. Choices to sacrifice what is ours to be a blessing to someone else. That's what the sacrifice is. That's what the suffering is. How many realize when you have something you want, but you choose to lay it down for someone else, that's difficult at times. When you have unforgiveness in your heart towards someone and you don't want to let it go, but you have to. That's suffering for our flesh. I'm so grateful Jesus did that for us, and so we must make those choices in our life and learn from that moment, that stop on the way to the cross. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6 says, Therefore humble yourselves, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. We must make choices to humble ourselves, recognizing that immediate, the immediate implications of that choice may not be the blessing that I'm looking for. But in due season, I will reap because I've been obedient to him. And the good news is, is we can make that choice. Why? Because he cares for us. This is something we always need to remember. Jesus would never ask something of you that would not be a blessing for you. He would never ask you to do something by which he would not bless you and he would not let his love rain upon you and bring you to a place that you've probably not even imagined you could be in. Great steps of obedience bring you into great places of blessing. And we must always remember that, and that's what Jesus did for us. What was the next step along the journey to the cross? Romans chapter 4 and verse 25 says, Jesus was handed over to be crucified. Everybody say, handed over. Our foundational text tells us that the next stop on the cross was Jesus being handed over. Prior to arriving at the cross, Jesus was relinquished into someone else's hands. He was betrayed by a simple kiss. Have you ever been betrayed by someone? Have you ever been somebody turned on you that you've poured your heart and your love and your soul into and been betrayed by them? That happened to all of us at times. Maybe it was a small betrayal. Maybe it was a major betrayal. But that betrayal could have been a moment in Jesus' life to say, wait a minute, I'm throwing up my hands. It just ain't worth it. I ain't doing this. He could have done that when Jesus kissed, when, when Jesus, when Jesus kissed him on the cheek. He said, Judas, you even betray me with a kiss? What was he saying? He was saying, man, I've poured my life into you for three years. You've been with us. You've heard the teaching, and yet you're simply going to betray me. I'm sure there was a moment in his flesh to want to say, you no good lowdown. I'm sure there was the other opportunity even deeper because he cared about God to throw up his hands and say, what's the use? I'm being betrayed. But Jesus chose to take the next step, and in that next step we find something very significant before he ever got to the cross that took place for us. You know, as I was preparing this message, I felt like, Lord, this is so disjointed, the different things. But, I, you know, sometimes how many realize we all come in here with different needs? And I just, I just could not get away from sharing these points in this way because I believe there may be needs here. The next step he took along the way was, before he ever made it to the cross, he was led to the whipping post. 
We've often heard the story, Judas pray, yeah, Jesus prayed and Judas betrayed him with a kiss and then he was handed over to Pilate and Pilate said, I've found no basis or no charge for him and then he's betrayed again by the very people that just a few days prior were shouting, Hosanna, you're the Savior, right? We're glad you came. John chapter 18 and verse 38 through verse 19 and verse 2, we read the story. It says in verse 38, Pilate went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? I mean, they were just declaring that's what he was, right? And they all cried again saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Verse 19, chapter 19, verse 1. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. Betrayed by Judas. Betrayed by the nation and the people he was sent to. And then he was led out to be scourged. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and pressed it into his head. And they put on him a purple robe. And, they, and then they said, Hail King Jesus. And they struck him with their hands. Notice prior to heading to the cross, Jesus was scourged and beaten. And in doing so, he began his sacrifice for us. See, in Gethsemane, we see his example for us. We see his submission to the will of the Father. We see his saying, not my will, but yours. But then after that moment, after making that decision, he now begins to make his substitutionary sacrifice for us. He begins to go through things so that we don't have to go through things. My heart is overwhelmed this morning and so grateful that he would stop here. At the, I mean, how many realize he didn't have to stop here? He could have called 10,000 angels to deliver him. But his body underwent the physical torment of being beaten and whipped and bruised and all, for, all to give us something in our lives. Isaiah 53 and verse 4 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. One translation says pains. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. What that means is, is that the nation of Israel at that time, the leaders of Israel, were saying, hey, that, this is God punishing him. And actually it was God punishing him, but it was a punishment that was unjust because he didn't deserve it. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And notice this phrase, and by his stripes we are healed. Prior to going to the cross, prior to hanging on the cross, he was tied to a whipping post. He was beaten. He was bruised. And he did that for our healing. Some would say that that healing is a spiritual healing that he came to give us. Other parts of that verse do talk about the spiritual healing he came to give us. But the reality is, is what that particular verse means, that particular statement, by his stripes we are healed, it applies to physical healing, not spiritual. That word healed means, if you look it up, it means this. It mean, the, the, the origin, the, if you look up the Hebrew, it says this. Made well or stitched up as a, as, as, a, as a physician would. Made well or stitched up as would a physician. So Jesus was made, he, he took stripes upon his back to physically heal us from our pains, our sicknesses, and our diseases. 
We know that to be true because Matthew quotes that particular portion of Scripture in the context of physical healing in Matthew chapter 8. It says when Jesus came to Peter's house in Matthew chapter 8, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. Verse 16, he wasn't done healing yet. And when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out their spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Now here he is, he's quoting Isaiah 53, 4. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. So we see in Isaiah 53 what God was what was being prophesied was about physical healing. It's then talked about here in Matthew chapter 8 in context of physical healing. And then we see what happens in 1 Peter. Peter declares to us the very same words to remind us that as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, healing is a provision that Jesus has provided for us. In 1 Peter chapter 2 it says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. It's abundantly clear that Jesus' sacrifice at the whipping post 100% emphatically provided for us physical healing. So my question for you today is this, are you sick? Are you in pain? If you are, Jesus paid to make you free. And it's as simple as reaching out and receiving it by faith. James chapter 5 and verse 14 says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And notice this, it's not the oil that heals you. Notice the next verse. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up Jesus in stopping at the whipping post provided for us an avenue through which we can receive physical healing for our bodies our final stop on the journey to the cross uh, and, 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 and next week we'll talk about the open door through which we get to walk because of what Jesus did for us our final stop today takes us to the actual cross the very thing we're going to celebrate and worship and thank God for on Friday night. After being beaten and scourged, he began his final steps to consummate his sacrifice for us. In Romans chapter 4 in our foundational text, it says Jesus was handed over to be crucified for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus' crucifixion provided a substitutionary punishment for our sins, and it provided his precious blood to forgive us of those very sins for which he took punishment. As we approach Easter Sunday, we must always remember that there was a dark and yet glorious Friday afternoon before there was ever an Easter resurrection. Mark chapter 5, 15 and verse 20 and 26 says, And when they had mocked him, this is after they beat him, they took, up, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. A certain man named Cyrene Simon, the from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. 
And they crucified him, dividing. Now think about that. They crucified him. They drove nails into his wrist. They drove nails into his feet. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. And it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. So we see Jesus making this stop at the cross. Verse 33 says, At noon darkness came over the whole land until it was three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloma, Eloi, Lima, Sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. In this account, we see Jesus making a substitution and a sacrifice for us. A substitution and a sacrifice. First, about the, let's talk about the substitute. What is a substitute? It's someone who takes the place of another. This act of perfect submission that started when he said, not my will but yours in Gethsemane, concluded here in this moment where he substituted himself for us. What did he substitute us to himself for? He became sin for us. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one, every man that breathes on this planet was stained by sin. And for that sin and imperfection, every man will be judged one day. That has not accepted Christ. We see this in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11. It says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Every believer, every unbeliever, will stand before God one day and give an account for their sinful acts. And what will be the judgment for that sin? Romans 3.23 puts it very bluntly, the wages of sin is death. That word death doesn't mean just physical death, it means separation from life. Separation from God himself, eternal damnation. Re Re Revelation 20 verse 15 describes it for us. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire eternally. That is the judgment that was due mankind. But because of Jesus and the cross, he became our sin so that we don't have to be judged for that sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20 says, Be reconciled to God, for he, God, made him Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. Jesus became sin for us on that cross. Jesus who never sinned, perfect Jesus, holy Jesus, pure Jesus, when he climbed upon that cross, he became the sin of all humanity. All of your deepest, darkest, sinful things that no one knows about, Jesus became that on that cross for you. So you didn't have to face the judgment that we read of in Revelation chapter 20. How could a man who never sinned become that substitute for us? Revelation chapter 3 and verse 13 says, But Christ has rescued us 
from the curse pronounced by the law, which that's the judgment pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, notice this, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scripture, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. By him allowing himself to be hung on a tree, he became sin. He became our curse. He physically and willingly took our place. He paid a debt. Here's an old song, an old song we sing as kids. He paid a debt he didn't know. I owed a debt I couldn't pay. He took our place. Thank God for that. Not only did he take our place as a substitution, but as the musicians come, he also became our sacrifice. Everybody say substitute. Everybody say sacrifice. See, not only was he a substitute for our sins, but he actually, through his death on the cross and the shedding of his blood, removed our sins. So that we're no longer doomed for the judgment. Think about it for a minute. Just because you're a substitute and you're removed from judgment, you know, he became sin for us. He became your sin, but you still are stained by that sin. There was something that needed to happen to remove that sin. 2 Corinthians says, He, for he made him to be sin for us that knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of of God. Just being hung on a cross would have been a substitution, but the shedding of that precious, innocent blood was what brought about the sacrifice, not only the substitution, but the sacrifice that made us right with God. Think about it for a minute. He may have removed the judgment by becoming sin for us, but had he not had that precious blood, as we're going to read here in a moment, applied before God for the forgiveness of our sins, we still would have been Judgment removed, but eternally separated from God. So how did he make us righteous? Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22 says, And without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The scripture teaches us and the law teaches us that unless the right blood is shed, sins cannot be remitted. See, a lot of people think that in the Old Testament as they set up this ritual of, you know, the, the nation of Israel bringing a lamb every year to, uh, to, to sacrifice for the sins of Israel, that it remitted their sins. It didn't remit their sins, it just pushed them off for another year. That's why they had to continually come back over and over and over again because the blood of a bull or a goat or a lamb was not an adequate sacrifice for our sin. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1 goes on to say, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never be, it can never, by the same sacrifice repeatedly, end, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, they would have stopped being offered. For the worshipers would not have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So notice the blood of bulls and goats could not have saved us. It was not an equivalent sacrifice. And I'll go a step further. Nor could the blood of just any man. Because every man has sinned except for Jesus and fallen short of the glory of God. And so what would have been offered was a tainted sacrifice. So no man could have done that either. There is only one that could have done that. The glorious Lamb of God, the Rose of Sharon, the Lion of the tribe of Judah that could have done that for us. 
First Peter chapter 1 and verse 18 says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, Jesus' blood was that perfect, spotless sacrifice. No one else could have given that. And this is why Jesus could say in that Last Supper, uh, in, in Luke chapter 20 and Matthew chapter 26, this cup is the new covenant between God and His people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you and is shed for the remission of sins. His precious innocent blood was poured out as a sacrifice to remit our sins. Listen how the writer of Hebrews puts it. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12 says, But when this priest, Jesus had offered for all time, all time, one sacrifice for sins. You know, I could go into a whole soliloquy on what he did there. Died on a cross, shed his blood, lay in the grave three days. On the third day he arose, and before he joins the disciples, he tells Mary, I got to go to my father. He goes to the father. He walks down the streets of heaven with the blood that he shed into the holy of holies in the temple in heaven, the real image of the, 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 the temple of God. And he presents one sacrifice, this perfect, spotless blood given from a pure heart of love. And then he sat down at the right hand of God. Then he adds, in verse 17, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Because of Jesus' sacrifice and the journey he took to the cross, when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God remembers your sinfulness no more. You say, what if I mess up in sin? Just take it to him and say, I'm sorry. And he says, you're forgiven. I remember it no more. That's the beauty of what Jesus did for us. And it didn't require him to come back and do it year after year after year after year. He did it once and for all. All the sins of all humanity, all that would live, all that have yet to live, all that have died, that sin paid for their sins. And if we choose to accept that sacrifice and believe in him, he remembers our sins no more. So today we turn our attention to Jesus' journey to the cross before we look to the open door that he provided in resurrection. And we see Jesus left an example of humility and submission to the will of God, regardless of how tough the sacrifice. We should do the same. Is there something God's dealing with you about today? Something in your heart you need to let go. Something in your heart you need to change. Something in your heart you need to do. Do it with all of your heart. Say this morning, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, secondly, was beaten and scourged for our physical healing so that we could be healed. If you are here this morning and you are sick in your body, if you have pain in your body, you can be healed by a simple prayer of faith, by calling upon the name of the Lord. And then Jesus ultimately provided a substitutionary sacrifice for us on Calvary. He became our sin and washed us white as snow. Romans 4.25 says, Jesus was handed over to be crucified for the forgiveness of our sins and was raised back to life to prove that he made us right with God. This morning, let's take a moment, and as we come together, I would tell you that even as you think about Easter coming this week, prayerfully consider those decisions he made for you. 
this throughout this week, prepare your heart to come Friday night and thank Him for the unbelievable choices He made for us and the unbelievable sacrifice He provided for us. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Grace Family Church podcast. We really hope you enjoyed this message. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, we would love for you to get connected. Just go to gfcva.info to learn more about who we are, how to give to this ministry, or how you can get involved. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.